Welcome to another episode of the Intersection Podcast, coming to you from the Georgia Tech Scheller College of Business. I'm your host, Leo Haig. I'm a second year MBA here at Scheller. And today I'm delighted to be hosting a very special episode of the Intersection Podcast. This week, the Georgia Tech Alumni Association is celebrating the class of 2022 40 under 40. And this is an annual program from our Alumni Association that showcases how tech graduates impact every industry worldwide and how they work to improve the way that we live through their diligence and expertise. So as part of those celebrations at Scheller, we're welcoming back three of our outstanding alumni. They are here to share their stories about their career journey since graduating from Georgia Tech, what they've learned along the way as they become trailblazers in their respective industries and communities, and how they continue to support the Yellow Jacket community. So it's my pleasure to introduce David Pham, a 2010 management graduate from Georgia Tech, Casey Swales, a 2007 management graduate from Georgia Tech, and Andrew Howard, who is actually a triple jacket, having received his undergraduate degree in computer science from Georgia Tech before going on to get an MBA and also an MS in information security here. So really, given your inside out knowledge of Georgia Tech, Andrew, it should probably be you hosting this podcast, not me, but we're delighted to have you back here at Georgia Tech to talk about your experience. But before we get started, guys, you know, firstly, I wanted to give a big congratulations to all three of you on being inducted into Georgia Tech's 40 under 40. I deliberately kept the details about your respective career short, as I know each of you have really interesting stories to share about your professional past since leading Georgia Tech. And you're all, as I said, respective leaders in your field. And I know you'll have some great advice that you've learned along the way from that journey. So I really just wanted to set the scene by asking you each just to give a bit of background on your career today. So what I will do, David, is I'll turn it over to you to start and just yeah, tell us how you got to be in 14 to 14, what you've been up to since graduating from Georgia Tech. Oh, perfect. Thank you. And it's uh, definitely an honor to be here. And I'm definitely standing among giants throughout this past two days of celebration, wondering why I'm even here and I'm uh, feeling small, but just very humbled and honored. When I graduated tech in 2010, um, I knew what I was going to do. So, you know, I some students had that questionable career, not knowing where they want to go, but I knew I was going to commission and join the Marine Corps. So commission, joined the Marine Corps, immediately went to training as an infantry officer and deployed to Afghanistan in 2012. There, had the honor and absolute privilege to serve boards of 75 Marines and Sailors, Sons and Daughters of America. Ages ranged from 18 to 27. Um, and then when we got to Afghanistan, led another 30 Afghans that were attached to my forces. So you imagine being a tech grad at 22 years old, like, here you go. Here's 75 folks. You're in charge of their lives and um, combat operations. So very humbling. And to be honest, everything that I learned here absolutely applied and helped me be successful in that position. From the humility to the empathy, leadership, um, everything contributed to the success of the team when we're overseas. And then since then, went on to lead a company of 200 Marines, was as a company commander, deployed all over the world, Middle East, again, actually down to the southwest border of um, the U.S. in support of that mission, and then had privilege of teaching and was became an instructor in the Marine Corps and taught a total of about 3,000, 3,500 students in the tenure of three years and have a passion to serve people and teach. And since then, at the 12-year mark, decided to transition to the reserves, just had to slow down a bit and stop my deployments and wanted to really start a family and try to figure out that aspect of life. Since then, became the senior executive assistant for the CEO of Rebellion Defense, which is an AI ML, so artificial intelligence and machine learning. 
that supports the military. So a lot of our products and things help the warfighter in the battlefield have the advantage against the folks that we're fighting. And since then, now moving on to the United States Digital Service as an operations guy, and uh, we'll be supporting and serving the government again. And, you know, part of that's finding purpose once you leave. And I know we're going to get deep into that, but that's where I'm at now in life. Also, as my side hustle, the uh, president of Family Fund Incorporated, spelled uh, P-H-A-M-I-Y, just like my last name, but a funny punny. But that, it's focused on inner city outreach for the youth. And I came from a very inner city background and was able to escape that through the work of my mother, through the work of mentors and folks that invested in us. And I was able to get to Georgia Tech because folks invested in kids that had no future. And that's the focus now is to show these kids, boys, girls, that what they are capable of and the success they're capable of if they believe in themselves. And then we hand out scholarships. We eventually will do leadership and residency training out in the countryside. So we're going to get a bunch of land and bring them out there for a couple of weeks and just build them up and show them that they can be successful in life and show them role models. And that's the way ahead now. And, you know, who knows where God's going to take me next, but it's going to be great. Well, yeah, well, welcome back, David. And thank you for your service as well. And it's great. Yeah. It's great to have you back at Georgia Tech and certainly been busy since you graduated. So definitely yeah. looking forward to digging in some more detail there. And Casey, I wanted to hand over to you next. Hey, thanks, Leo, and thanks again for having us here. I, I echo everything that David said because it's just incredible to be back on campus. I was saying earlier, I'm glad to see Tendrum is still here from mm-hmm. when I was here. Spent lots of money there and at Moe's. Uh, so glad to see I kept him in business for at least the, the five years that I was at Tech. So what have I been up to since 2007? Well, a lot. So I actually did a series of co-op tours when I was here. One actually before I came over to Scheller as an engineer. So I worked for a company. And then after I switched to management is when I actually started interning at NASA, which is where I still work today. So after graduation, I moved to Houston, Texas. I spent about 15 years or so at the Johnson Space Center, which is a home of human spaceflight, home of where our astronauts are, flight crew operations, and was in various roles, most in the change management, organizational leadership, and HR space. And so something I never thought I would end up in, it just I actually kind of fell into HR, just like I fell into working at NASA. I was, despite all the engineers at NASA that say they've wanted to work there since they were three and be an astronaut, I was not one of those, <laughs> but have a huge passion for public service and more importantly for exploration. So my mom was a flight attendant when I was growing up and worked for Delta. And so I got a travel bug early on and just really loved exploring new places and cultures and when I graduated and you know started making a little bit of money after you know between nine and five, started using flight benefits and have now used those and kind of gone over, all over the world. So that's really kind of where my professional and personal passions meet is in the core of exploration. And back during the Obama administration, we canceled the Moon program, which was the Constellation program, and I was asked to be the workforce transition manager for that program which was actually really challenging for the agency at the time. You know, I I don't like working on something for five minutes that somebody says they don't need, so much less people that had been working on this program for just years and years to have it canceled overnight. For the Johnson Space Center, it was a huge hit because we had three major human spaceflight programs at the time, the International Space Station Program, the shuttle program, which we had already announced that we were retiring, and then Constellation. So we essentially had two-thirds of the workforce 
that, you know, had no longer clear roles and responsibilities in a future, you know, in sight that they were going to. So that was one of the first big roles that I led in kind of managing that workforce transition and what we were doing with those folks. I also supported the astronaut office at the time, and we were really worried about losing some of our crew members, mainly because we had invested so much time, money in them, and just really intelligent, talented individuals. And so I helped develop an astronaut retention plan for what we were going to do with those folks in between our gap of flight. At the same time, we knew that we had to be able to fly again from U.S. soil. So the agency had made the decision that we were moving forward with what was called a commercial crew program. So this was back in the days before no one knew what SpaceX was. And so we invested in a program called Commercial Crew, and uh, I was one of the folks on the ground helping get that organization stood up from an organizational design, from a workforce perspective. And it was a very different time for the agency and kind of where we were headed. Essentially, we had always done a lot of work in-house, and now we were moving to a completely different model where we would partner more and more with the commercial sector to try to get their capabilities, you know, kind of online. So... That was kind of a big pivotal moment. We also spun what is now called the Orion program out of Constellation because we knew if we were going to do deep exploration that we would need a vehicle. Uh, So the Orion capsule, which will hopefully launch next week for the first time on Artemis 1. So Artemis is now our program that is going back to the moon and eventually onto Mars. So we are launching our test flight next week after you know a, a very long time under development so i'm very excited to see orion something that i worked on you know from early on fly hopefully next week and then the next flight will have humans on it that will orbit around the moon so very excited for that what took me to nasa headquarters in 2018 was the agency had made a decision we had uh, 10 different business models essentially for human capital for our CIO functions, procurement functions, essentially all of our business functions across the agency. We have 10 NASA centers located geographically across the U.S. We made the decision that we were going to move forward in an enterprise model for all of those and have one HR office, one CIO office, one procurement office, et cetera. And so I went up to NASA headquarters to lead the human capital transformation, which was essentially the consolidation of 500 HR employees across 10 different NASA centers, around $90 million. And so it was a consolidation of everything from having one you know, service delivery model, consolidation of contracts, leadership and training and development programs, awards. And so that's what took me up there. From there, I stood up a division called Executive Services that still is in existence at the agency today. And it provides end-to-end HR services across the 600 senior executives we have at the agency, including political appointees. I stood up an executive development function underneath that, so which was the first time we had kind of a dedicated focus on executive development and succession planning at an agency level to make sure we're investing in the next generation of leaders across the agency. And then during this last presidential administration change, the acting NASA administrator asked me to step in and be the acting chief of staff, which is normally a political appointed position. And so during the change, I served in that capacity. And then when our new associate administrator, essentially our COO, came in, he asked me to stay and be his deputy, which is what I'm doing today. I started that role about a year ago. So I'm our deputy associate administrator. And essentially what that means is I am the deputy to him on the day-to-day operations for our roughly 18,000-person workforce and 10 NASA centers and five mission directorates. So... 
They said to me, Casey, when I said that I was coming to Georgia Tech, that I'd meet a lot of rocket scientists and, and astronauts, but now I finally meet someone who manages all of those people, so that's very <laughs> exciting. And yeah, very exciting times at NASA with the launch next week as well, so good luck for that, and thank you for taking time out to be with us ahead of that, as I know you'll be very busy and there, but we really appreciate you coming back to Georgia Tech to spend some time with us. And Andrew, I now wanted to hand over to you to hear a little bit more about you know your career path since you, well, I was going to say graduated from Georgia Tech, but I know you've been back a couple of times since then as well. Um, but it would be great to hear about your kind of journey and, and how you stayed in touch with Georgia Tech over that time. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Not a Marine. I haven't been on a space shuttle, but uh, I wish I could or be around space shuttles, I guess. But So Georgia Tech graduate, I went here for computer science. During that time, between 2001 and 2006, uh, I was in the computer science program and I needed money. So I thought, man, I'll just go see if I can find a job and was fortunate to enter into a cooperative assignment with the Georgia Tech Research Institute, Georgia Tech's applied research arm. And it's there that I discovered what we call today cybersecurity. Back then it wasn't called that, but I had the opportunity from 2001 to 2006 to spend five work terms at GTRI, primarily doing offensive type things on Navy systems, basically hacking ships and test their security, test their antennas, provide that feedback to the Navy and other defense-oriented organizations. It was a great experience, and I kind of got the bug for cybersecurity. There was a movie out at that time that came out before then called Sneakers, Robert Redford. If you haven't seen it, it's a great movie. It's about kind of a hacking banks. And I kind of loved that movie. I loved what I was doing in uh, in cybersecurity through GTRI. And I said, man, this is something I'd like to make a career of. And so made the decision to stick with GTRI after I graduated. So graduated in 06. And I spent the next 12 years at GTRI in doing basically cybersecurity work from secure cloud development to data protection and a lot of offensive testing for defense-oriented organizations, but also companies here in Atlanta and across the globe, British Petroleum being a big one. I have been on many rooftops, in many dumpsters, in many basements, have crawled around most of the buildings in Atlanta doing big test events for cybersecurity, kind of odd experiences, but uh, have really loved the cybersecurity the field. And during my time at GTRI, I was fortunate to be able to get an information security degree and then really felt like I needed some business acumen. And so I, I decided to go get through the executive MBA program, an MBA through at Scheller, which really was uh, a nice ying to the yang of my kind of undergraduate degree. In 2016, 2017, I decided that I, I needed to go do something different and I wanted some international experience. There was a change in administration, obviously, at that time frame, which also meant that a lot of my customers were changing out that I was used to working with and made the decision to go join a Swiss cybersecurity firm. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. I interviewed with the chairman of the board for this company and a Swiss gentleman that's well known in Switzerland. And during the interview, I, I said that I was looking forward to doing work in Sweden, which a lot of Americans confuse Sweden and Switzerland fairly often. It was a huge mistake. And um, I still think about that often. But anyway, he ended up hiring me. And so I joined as a CTO and helped this Swiss cybersecurity firm move into the US. What our firm fundamentally does is take on the security mission for big brands, primarily serve companies that are kind of $1 billion and above in revenue. Kellogg's in the US, uh, we help secure your cereal. Uh, <laughs> but also, you know, organizations like the United Nations, the World Health Organization, hospitals. During COVID, there's been a lot of fraud and a lot of attacks on medical systems. That's been a space that we've been very deep in. We serve 50, 60 hospitals in the US with cybersecurity services. We're about 500 people. Uh, in 2019, I became the CEO. So I've been the CEO since 2019. 
uh, to help grow the firm, help get us expanded outside of Switzerland. Uh, we have offices across Europe at this point and really enjoyed the cybersecurity experience and working with companies. And when I think about my Georgia Tech experience, you know, the engineering and computer science skills I learned are kind of the basis, but Scheller is really what made it come alive. So I appreciate the experience and I'm happy to be back here today. Well, I think between having a CEO, a former marine leader and someone who's now making an impact in, you know, not just commercial, but the nonprofit space and a leader at NASA, I think it's fair to say, I was going to say the sky's the limit if you go to Georgia Tech for your undergrad, but I think Casey, especially in your case, that's probably a little bit too limiting even then. Space is where it can take you. But I think, guys, obviously you have very different kind of industries that you've gone into and and taken different journeys. But I think one thing that really shines through is that you are all kind of responsible for people. Mm. You've all taken, you know, steps to really improve and enhance your leadership capabilities and and, uh, put yourself forward for those sorts of roles. So the first question I was going to ask you is really reflecting on that as leaders in your respective industries today. And what would you say the most important leadership traits that you try to display every day um, as you go about your work? And, and David, I'll start with you. Oh, thank you. And honestly, I'll, I'll keep it short because I want to hear what they have to say as well, just in their positions. They're incredible. When I was teaching leadership at the basic school for the Marine Corps, we have leadership traits, right? I mean, discipline, endurance, dependability, like, like all these things that are written out. But the ones that weren't written out, that we kind of developed and that are the intangibles. If I could have an any person, it's going to be humility, compassion, and empathy. Very soft skills that you have to develop through getting to know people. And with that, you're going to be able to create a team, right? So I, I joke a lot. I'm like, hey, I could put a, you're pretty in shape, Leo. I could put a rifle in your hands right now and give you Marine Corps skills, right? I could teach you to do Marine Corps tactics, but we won't necessarily win a mission or a battle because of that. But I could win a mission or a battle with a team. And to be able to build build that team, you have to have trust, right? And that's what the military is different. And and the the Marine Corps is different in particular is we build teams first. I'd rather build a team and then I'll give you the tangible skills a little bit later on. And to be able to do that, you have to build trust. Simon Sinek talks about all the time. It's like the Navy SEALs evaluate for trust before they evaluate anything else. They'd rather have a trustworthy person than a fully competent, right? Mm-hmm. Ideally, they have both. And the thing that I've learned in the last, you know, almost 15 years of just since Georgia Tech and the military and everything else is you build trust through knowing your people. And you do it through compassion, right? You have to love the people you work with. And some people are hard to love, right? And the one thing I always say is if you build a family first, because you might have a sibling. I know we all go through this. You might not be happy with them one day. But does that mean your love for them ever changes? It doesn't. You still love them. You might not want to talk with them that day, but you still love them. If you could build that trust, you find the solution to build that trust within an organization, you're going to have a team that could accomplish any mission, especially stuff like NASA, right? And Because you know, people's lives are at risk at NASA every day. And that compassion is required to do that. And then having the empathy to know everybody has a background. Right. Um, one of the challenges I used to give my young Marines and young leaders is, do you know what number your people wore in high school football or soccer? Like, you have to know those details. You have to know how many siblings they had. Right? What makes them tick? Like, what are their passions? What do they do in their off time? When their significant other's birthday is? When's their anniversary? Right? So now you can give them that day off, potentially. That's how you build trust. And then the last thing is humility. You know, I sit here among giants, and I said it earlier. Just having the humility every day that there's going to be folks better than you. There's going to be, and you could always learn from somebody. I love talking to undergrads. I love talking to 18-year-olds. I love talking to kids in elementary school because you're going to learn something. But if you have so much hubris as a leader that you know everything, you've fully accomplished it, then you're never going to learn anything. So I go into life with having that humility. And so 
you know, if you were to ask me to keep it short again, it's humility, compassion, and empathy is what I look for in, in future leaders. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. it's definitely something you know, that I've really respected in leaders that I've worked for. If they, A, take an interest in you, but B, genuinely want to learn from you, I think it makes a real difference in the work that you do. And Casey, I wanted to come to you next to kind of get your thoughts on that question as well. Well, I think David said it perfectly. I mean, you really did. And so, you know, NASA is such a complex organization. And one of the things I look back, so we were just rated this year as the best place to work in the federal government for the wow. 10th year in a row. Yeah. And I think about, you know, why is that? You know, we do have an amazing mission, but more so than that, it really is the people. And we have this motto where we say, you know, kind of people first and mission always. And it is really around the people. You know, during the pandemic, I was really proud as an organization that we completely demonstrated that. We put people first, we put their safety first. We recognize that we might have slips in some of the missions. That being said, we we still flew a helicopter on Mars in the middle of a pandemic, which <laughs> yeah. is amazing. You know, people are sitting from their kitchen counters because they were that dedicated. But I do find if you invest in the people that they will invest in you. I actually I had gotten into this really terrible car accident in 2019. I had gotten rear-ended and T-boned by two different cars, and I was unconscious. I was in the vehicle. The paramedics finally showed up. I was a couple hours outside of where I'd lived. I didn't know anyone. Um, I was relatively even new to D.C. And within probably 30 minutes of that, I had several of my team members, you know, drive across town because we had just finished up a leadership offsite. The paramedic had picked up my phone. They called the last person in it, which was my deputy. Hmm. She immediately called several people in kind of chain of command, called my boss. She called several of our team members. She called my mother. So within 45 minutes, you know, I had four people on my team show up to the hospital, which Hmm. was, you know, incredible. You know, I'd been taken to this hospital. I was totally scared. And, you know, and I just think about that. It's because we put such an emphasis on people. And, you know, I think in order to do that, you as a leader have to constantly be thinking about different aspects of communication and being vulnerable in that communication, Um, sharing really, you know, kind of what's on your mind and being authentic, genuinely listen to people and understand, you know, what's really on their minds and what's going on in the organization. Because I think ultimately, you know, that's really how you drive vision and strategy forward you can't do it without people buying in and people following you and so I think if you listen to the team and you invest in getting to know them as people and you're vulnerable back and sharing kind of what's on your mind and what you're thinking about I think you'll get really far so well I think that's a true endorsement of your leadership there Casey if you know people are willing to go completely outside of work just to be there for you and and care for you as an individual I think you know clearly you're doing a a great job there and really putting some of the principles that David mentioned as well um, into action Andrew you've got the the tough job here of of going last on this question but in in your experience as well it'd be great and to know if you've kind of picked up any traits that you think are you know particularly important as you go about your work as the CEO. I don't think I can do any better than the last <laughs> two answers. I will. The one thing I'll say is uh, I, I agree with all those said. You know, I find empathy to be incredibly yeah. important. Yeah. I've been fortunate to lead some large organizations a couple of times. And what I have found more than anything is that this all starts and stops with communication. Mm-hmm. So, and though the, I had a leader that I used to work for tell me a long time ago that once you think you have massively over communicated, you've just gotten started. And, uh, and I, I take that to heart. I mean, I work, it's something I think about a lot on this leadership topic. Like you can be as humble as you want, but if you don't communicate you know, <laughs> properly, then it's not going to matter. So 
what I particularly discovered as I've gotten a little bit older is that different generations communicate very differently. The generation that's at Georgia Tech today communicates very differently than you know the, the generation that's at retirement. So something I think about how to do better and uh, more is always required. But I think for this leadership thing to really work, communication's got to be transparent and often and got to meet the employees where they're at and not the same mo- not the same method or the same delivery. And that is what has been a real challenge for me as a leader is to get right. I've done it wrong more than I've done it right, but put a lot of focus into uh, making it right now. And uh, so I agree with everything was said. I'll just add communication. Mm. Well, I, I, that kind of leads me very nicely into my next question, Andrew, which was, as you've kind of yeah, progressed through your respective careers and, and taken on increasing leadership roles and roles of influence, is there a kind of a real influential learning experience that stands out to you on, on that journey? I think you mentioned a couple of things, Andrew, there that's kind of from a like, kind of trait perspective. But was there a moment where you like, you know, you look back on it, you feel like you've really learned something there that's now benefiting you today? Yeah. I would start with the communication. So that's the obvious one. I think the second bullet would be kind of connect. Like really get to know people that you're working with. I think for me, the the third thing I've learned is choose your team carefully. We don't always have the luxury of choosing our team, but if you do have the opportunity to choose your team, you should choose it carefully because in my work life, I've had some very negative experiences. Um, and if I look at those experiences that were very negative, it's always because of team. Like one bad apple in the team can really cause a lot of problems throughout the team. And and obviously, like being on the battlefield is very differently than like being in corporate America. But as far as your options there, but I think what I've learned is that the team is very important, and making the right hires is um, of the most important. Making the right promotions. I about ten years ago instituted a very simple rule that served me very well, and that rule is no jerks. And it seems to be well understood by most people. And you can be the smartest person in the room. You can be the biggest rainmaker in the room, you know, bringing in the most money or doing the most delivery or you know, kind of whatever that trade is. But if you're a jerk, you, you can ruin it for the rest of the organization and you'll ruin the overall operational efficiency of the team as a whole. So, you know, try and hire people that think about the team, are humble and are focused on the mission, not themselves. And so it's tough. And in, in, at what I've, I think you can only get that experience through running through some terrible situations. The scars are where we learn how to make the next decision. So I, I would say it's important. Well, the no jerks policy is something that is said in the MBA program here at Georgia Tech as well. There's 80 of us in our program, so not huge by MBA standards, but definitely I think even within that number of people, if there is somebody who had those characteristics, and I think we would definitely all know. So I think that's something that I'm going to try to take forward with me as well as I kind of go ahead and back to the world of work in June after I graduate and take that with me. And But Casey, I wanted to come to you next. Well, and I, I kind of want to continue on with this thread that you just went with because I think it's really, really important as a leader whether you're in a direct leadership role, an influence leadership role, anyone can lead from where they are. And as a leader, you really set the tone. You set the tone for expected behaviors, how people are going to interact with each other. You set the no jerk policy. <laughs> Hold to that because if you have kind of a the all-star player that's scoring goals by themselves, ultimately you're going to lose as a team. And so I think that's really, really important and something I learned early on. I agree that you don't always have the benefit of picking your own team, but when you do, it is amazing and incredible to be able to set that kind of tone you know, early on and to get players that really embody some of the same values that you have, but being clear up front on what those expectations and values are and demonstrating it in your actions. Uh, the last organization that I ran, the team, you know, was a lot smaller than the folks that I interact with now, but it around 30 people, we would still take time 
with every staff meeting we had, we spent the first five minutes on appreciation and kudos, just talking openly around people sharing accomplishments, who helped who. I got a lot of insight as a leader on some of the work that was going on in the organization, but it also gave time for people just to really kind of have that connection. My team was geographically dispersed, so it was even more important for us to have kind of that connection and setting aside that tone. And I guess the next thing I'd say is it's really important also in the realm of communication, you know, I, I learned early on, it, it does help to slowly build coalitions for kind of where you're headed, especially if you're rolling out a massive change. The more you can, you know, kind of sit down and hear people's different perspectives. And I always say go to the naysayers first, because you will learn a lot more than the people who you know agree with you. So kind of taking the time to kind of share your vision and where you're headed and to make sure you're getting kind of those broad perspectives of where you're going. Perfect. And to be honest, I'll pull on the thread as well. You talked about awards and accolades and, and complimenting people. If you reflect on our society and our structure, there's a million ways to punish somebody, right? There's HR, there's, you get reports written on you, you get evaluations, but we have very limited ways on how to congratulate and celebrate somebody's success, right? And, and we have a very negative mentality in society. So that translates a lot of times to the business world, but nobody wants to go to work every day. And this is something I learned from one of my mentors. And they wake up in the morning like, I'm going to be the biggest failure in life today. Like, I'm just going to go to work and then just make my manager angry, right? Like, nobody wakes up doing that. So if you go into work with that mentality and knowing that nobody's doing this on purpose, it's either because they didn't have the proper communication, they, they didn't understand the mission, they didn't understand the intent, they didn't have the tools to be successful. You know, sometimes, you know, they have off days and life affects them, right? It could be a family situation, right? So as a leader... You have to be able to, I'd like for folks to have that empathy in mind. And, you know, you learn this because folks come to you. One of your highest performers came to me and was just stopped performing. And there's like, something is wrong. And we were going to, like, other leaders were going to throw the book at him. And I said, like, let's dig into this. You know, kind of find out he's going through a divorce. And they were in debt. And that led to the divorce. And then it's like, it was like this chain, this vicious cycle, this great performer got in and, and he kept pushing himself to try to be a performer but everything was coming behind him right that's when you know thank god i learned this early on in my career so i started applying that like hey we have to address leadership one it, it's our onus to know our people but also to have the empathy to realize okay what's bothering them because i know they're a performer and how can i help them right how do i set up the boundaries and the measures so that they are successful like can i send them home early so they could work on relationships things at home or so that's one of the things I did learn to your point of like hey this significant moment of like okay just because somebody isn't a performer is not because they're malinger um, and if they are then there's ways to get rid of them but I would say 90% of the time something else is amiss they're either not trained enough they either don't understand your intent as a leader they have issues going on at home and whenever there's failure I've been taught this by great mentors as well like you don't look at your people you look at yourself and having the humility to look at yourself like how did this get here right what were the things I could have done better to do that and to their points you know Casey and Andrew said this is as a leader you're responsible for the culture and to build that culture you have to understand the people within it and and then the one other thing is as a leader it's a lonely place I tell a lot of my uh, mentees this is you're expected to hold a standard as a leader you're expected to drive the mission and you can't make the popular decision all the time. And in this society where, like, just being liked is a priority for a lot of, I don't want to say kids, but, like, for a lot of folks in society, it's like, oh, I want to be liked. Like, we're not going to move the ball if, if you are constantly looking for 
affirmation and being like, true leaders are going to make the tough decisions, always having their people in mind, right? People always. But you, it's a lonely place, and you will have to make those tough decisions. And everything you say, they will remember, everybody around you. And, and that's why it's lonely, is you make one mistake, then it's going to be remembered. Right. So just understand that going in. It's a lot of pressure, but also understand that everybody does fail and, and own up to it. But know that you're always being watched. You're in charge of the culture and it will feel lonely a lot of times. Well, David, you touched on something there as well that was going to bring me nice onto my next question, which is you know, what those kind of lessons that you mentioned that started actually very early in your career. And you're able to kind of reflect on that and you know use it to benefit you going forward, but also benefit the teams that, that you're working in. So my final question to you guys was just, you know, as three you know, young success stories that's come out of Georgia Tech. And what advice would you give to those who are looking and hoping to progress rapidly through their career? But, you know, they might be undergrads at the moment. Don't quite know what industry they want to be in but you know just as they think how they can debt themselves and, and go about their careers what would you share with them and, and Casey I wanted to start with you man Great. I'm up first on yes. this this is the hard one I was like go thanks, to Casey thanks Leo <laughs> you know the first thing I would just advice I would give people is and I learned this I'm very grateful in a way that probably didn't have a ton of consequences but I took the first job here when I interned, you know, at a different company as an engineer because it was the highest paying job offer that Mm. I got. And I, it was a very impactful experience for me because I was probably about halfway through that internship sitting on a shop floor with a power drill in hand, you know, and some old (laughs) jeans and a warehouse. And I was like, this is not what I want to do with my life. And I remember even going through the interview and us talking and I was like, oh yeah, that sounds very interesting. And I'm thinking I'm like not really even that interested in this. So the first thing I would say is follow your passions, you know, know what you're passionate about, know what gets you excited every day and hold on to that and follow it because, you know, it's going to serve you well in the long term and you're going to do well in something that you really genuinely enjoy doing. I'll admit I had a really hard time switching over to the business school when I was in college. I was like, I felt like I had to defend it. I was like, but my grades are really good. You know, I have above a 3.5. I'm doing really well in my engineering and technical classes. I almost felt like I had to defend it, but I was like, I am genuinely not interested in this. And I even took one of those career tests at the time. Hmm. And I remember engineering was one of the categories. I don't even remember all the categories, like social services and all these other things engineering was my lowest score and I was like okay maybe I should not be an engineer and that was like there's your sign but I already had a bunch of other signs Mm. and so I think since then because I learned that lesson early on I've always followed you know essentially my heart and things that I'm interested in and what I'm passionate about and Mm. There's been times, you know, people are like, oh, you got to leave NASA. You've been there, you know, too long. You got to go get some new experiences. But I've had a different career opportunity every couple of years because I went all in on something that I was genuinely interested and excited about. And if you, you know, do what you love and you love what you do, I think you'll you'll be headed for a good place. Well, I think you definitely made the right decision by make, making the switch so over. Did. I think you paid out uh, in the end quite nicely. So, yeah, very well done for sticking to your guns on that one. But David, I was going to come to oh, you next. Nice. It was between me and Andrew. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, I'll just reiterate the passion piece as well, so I won't speak on that. But you hit the nail on the head. You, the money's going to come. Like, it, wherever it works, as long as you work hard. So essentially do that. Like, do what you love, do what you're passionate about. But also for me, it was always serving people, right? We talked about this earlier, actually, to the dean. And one mission you'll never accomplish is 
helping everybody in the world. You'll never accomplish that mission. I don't care how good you are. You could be Elon Musk, Bill Gates, charity philanthropy. You could be anybody, but there's going to be always be somebody to help. So what I've done is just kind of revolved my life around that. It's, it's if my mission is to help people, no matter how I do it, then it'll be a mission that I'll never be able to accomplish. And if I was 22 years old again and we're listening to somebody like I'd, I'd love for them to tell me that that is find a passion and mission and some folks like that's not their passion they, they just want to sit behind you know my brother-in-law is a electrical engineer from Georgia Tech and he loves programming and computing but his passion to help people is his my nieces and nephew right he's working his job he's doing that but he's finding passion in raising his kids and it's again helping the next generation. So I think in this world, it, there's a lot of technical jobs. There's a lot of things that are going to be thrown in front of you as a graduate of Georgia Tech that are very tempting, um, especially revolving around finances or accolades or like, um, oh, I work for Goldman Sachs or I work for Google. And you have to find what makes you happy and fired up to wake up every day. And it could be programming, like or it could be making art, it could be making podcasts, or it could be helping people, right? So I would say that was one of the, the biggest advice that I wish I'd had early on and that everything, as long as you continue to work hard and surround yourself by good people, it'll work out. Yeah. Well, Andrew, I think it's only appropriate if we have a triple jacket in the room mm-hmm. to close out with you. But yeah, it'd be great to get your thoughts on that question. So I love this question. So you get in your DeLorean for your Back to the Future fans, <laughs> go back to when you were <laughs> 22, what would you tell yourself other than you know, buy Tesla. And <laughs> yeah. These are the lotto numbers. I think about two things that are very difficult for engineers that I think is the key. So I agree with what was said. I would add two things. One is, and they're related. The first one is networking. Mm. It's tough for engineers. I just want to be the smartest person, best resume. I want to have the best credentials, the best programmer, the best whatever. And my experience is that's all great. The person with the network tends to do equally well. And if you can combine them, it can be very strong. So what I found in my career is that I've never gotten a job that did not involve help from a friend one way or another. And that's been true my whole career. And I think it's important. Like engineers and Georgia Tech students should think about networking. Meet as many people as you can. Georgia Tech has an amazing network around it. And you should go leverage it because it's it will help you one way or another. And I will tell you, like the networking that helped me win the most was the person that expected the least. And so don't be um, egotistical about it. Like just go meet as many people as you can. It'll benefit you. That includes your peers. The second thing I'll say is it's about risk taking. So I'm 39 in a few months. Like I'm about to be 40. Like my time horizon on risks is uh, a lot shorter than the average 22 year olds. So, you know, that controls my ability to go take risks. As a 22 year old, you have a huge time horizon to go take risks. And the consequences of a downside risks of a bad outcome are extremely low. And what I find about most engineers and most 22-year-olds is that they don't understand that. And so I think if I could go back in time, I would tell myself, take more risk. Because the reality of the situation is, in most cases, the downside scenario that Scott's everyone freaked out, they just, they missize it. Like, we are bad at understanding risk as humans. We're very bad at it as engineers, because we're just trained to be anti-risk. And I think the average 22-year-old in the market for Georgia Tech uh, took a little bit more risk and that now's the time to do it. Go take that risk. They're just related. So if you're going to go take a lot of risk, it helps if you've got a good network. So I would encourage those two things. I agree with what was said before, but I think more risk-taking and uh, networking. Brilliant. Well, that is all that we have time for on the Intersection podcast today. You can find us and listen and subscribe, not just on the Shellow website now, but also on Apple and Spotify. But before we close out here, I just wanted to say congratulations again and for making the 40 and the 40. And thank you so much, David 
David, Casey and Andrew for sharing your experiences. I think there's some incredible lessons in leadership and how to go about your career path there and you know how to just, when, if you're an undergrad at the moment, how to go about being a success kind of straight out the gate. So really, really do appreciate you giving up the time to come back to Georgia Tech and, and share that with us. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.